Kia ora koutou, hello everybody and welcome to Epic Aotearoa Create a Better Future podcast where every week we share uplifting messages told by New Zealanders in their own words. Our mission is to share the learnings from those lived experiences, inspire our listeners to take positive action and go out there and create a better future. Proudly brought to you by co-founders Joe Hortai, former soldier in the Special Air Service, family man and aspiring entrepreneur, and Brian Osman, a knowledge engineer, family man, entrepreneur, and all-round good do. Thank you for connecting with us today. Now let's get started and create a better future. Let's go. Kia ora koutou. Hello everybody and welcome back to this epic Aotearoa Create a Better Future podcast, and in particular this series, In the Service of Others, Who Dares Wins. Co-founding partners Brian Osman and myself, Joe Hortai, are grateful for the feedback which we have received to date, and we hope that we can continue to strive to live up to your expectations in providing content and information that will be worthy of your ears to listen to. Ladies and gentlemen, our guest today is not like our guests that we've had in the previous episodes so far in terms of this particular series in the service of others, Who Dares Wins?, What we mean by that is this particular guest today that you're going to hear from has not served in the Defence Force. He does, however, fit the bill and meet the criteria when it comes to serving others and being prepared to take risks and put things on the line. And we trust that as you take the time to have a listen to our guest today, that you'll be able to glean from and connect and relate to this individual in various ways and be able to apply those lessons and teachings and learnings to your own situation. So we invite you to stay tuned, listen in, and enjoy. Kia ora koutou. Hello everybody and welcome back to this epic Aotearoa Create a Better Future podcast and part of this special series, In the Service of Others, Who Dares Wins. Today, co-founding partners Brian Osman and myself, Joe Hortai, have an incredible guest with us here today. We're privileged to have this guy join us. Uh, a little brief background intro. He's a 29-year-old challenge seeker from Christchurch. He's now living in Perth. He's got a keen interest in data and security science and digital strategy, and he finds purpose and meaning in assisting others to achieve their goals in the world of business development. So it really does align perfectly with regards to this in the service of others and the who dares wins aspect will come about as we speak and uh, find out more from our guest today as he shares his really interesting and, and inspiring journey. So for Brian and I, we have the privilege of welcoming and having the one and only Tom Totka. Welcome, brother. Ciao, Good to be here. <laughs> awesome to have you here. Hey, maybe um, if we can, how about if we just kick off with a little bit about what you do? So, because you're a co-founding, you're the co-founding company director of of one company called Artunis Medical Group, and then you're also the business development director for Vector 25, which is a cool name, by the way, so I'd love to hear how you come up with those names. But would you yeah. mind just speaking a little bit about these two companies first, perhaps Artunis, hopefully I'm saying it correctly, Medical Group, yeah. and then into Vector 25? Yeah, no worries. So Artunis Medical Group's uh, the company that's based here in Perth, and it's kind of there's two components to it. So one's the the, the physical private practice, which is a, um, a practice that specialises in both um, reconstructive and it has an aesthetic component as well. So reconstructive and aesthetic plastic surgery. Um, and so um, yeah, basically we've got the physical practice, but then we're also involved in sort of um, investment, research, and development of um, 
medical technologies and uh, and volunteering and that sort of stuff um, as well under normal circumstances but um, at the moment uh, my wife Linda who's the the specialist that heads up the practice um, uh, sort of is unable to travel just due to COVID and that sort of stuff but um, yeah everything's still going on here in Perth and uh, so we've that's two days a week basically we operate out of there in terms of clinics Yep. And then I, I basically have everything set up so that I can work um, off-site um, on the other days. So VoIP systems that redirect phone calls, all cloud-based software solutions that I can get access to patient databases and that sort of stuff. And that ties into the second role, which is Vector25, which I do on the, <clears throat> the other days of the week. Um, and that's a company uh, based out of Sydney, um, uh, directed by, by, by my brother. And um, we specialize in um, brand design and development for everything from startups through to um, sort of contracts with the state government and that sort of stuff as well. So wow. yeah, that's the, that's the two roles in a nutshell. Um, a, and, oh, yeah. So a little backstory on how I ended up branching up into the Vector 2.5 thing is that we yeah. were, um, I knew that we were going to be going overseas in essence. Um, and uh, it'll kind of all tie in later in the, in the podcast, but yeah. I needed to work out a way <clears throat> that I was going to be able to work remotely um, not knowing where we were going to be sort of three months or six months ahead of time and it actually ended up working out quite well because now coming into this COVID era where everyone works from home I'm totally used to it <laughs> um, so yeah no no trouble at all trying to adapt to um, the yeah the lockdowns and that sort of stuff that we had to endure over the last sort of 24 months Man, that's awesome. That, that's very cool in terms of, so is the, the Artunis Medical Group stuff, because they're quite different, I, I realise there's some similarities and you could probably use, and you, you may have uh, used the Vector 2.5 side of things to help build the, the digital presence, so to speak, of Artunis, is that right? Or Yes, absolutely. So um, we were quite fortunate in that um, I'd sort of like accumulated tools and obviously we had la access to Laz, who's my brother, the director of Vector25, to yeah. be able to assist um, on doing all of our um, brand design and rollout, which is a massive headache for a lot of businesses. And before I got into this, you kind of don't even realize it. It's like, oh, you can just start a company and, um, and go for gold. Yeah. But um, it's actually not the case at all. And so it's, it's a really stressful thing for a lot of people, um, particularly those that are extremely focused on whatever the tool or solution or businesses that they're trying to um, provide as a service or develop. Yeah. And so basically what we do at Vector25 is take all of that um, annoyance away from people. They basically just give us a brief yeah. and we go away, work on that brief while they can focus on whatever that solution, tool, product, whatever it is that they're trying to um, yeah, build or develop or provide, uh, they can just continue to do that while we focus on the, the brand side of stuff. That's awesome, man, because I could imagine it would take a lot of the stress off the companies or the people that are building their brand or their product, I should say, or wanting to get their message out there so that you guys can focus on making it better or the delivering the message in the way that the yeah, that's it. To come yeah, across. pretty much. Yeah. So okay. it's, um, yeah. What about the yeah. name Vector Two Five? Sorry if I missed yeah. it. How, how did you yeah. come up with that name? That that's um, a cool name. Yeah, so that's a question you're going to have to ask Laz actually. Laz, okay. Yeah, cool. um, right, I've, no 
I've actually never asked him the question. I'm sure he might have brushed on it. Um, but yeah, you'll have to ask him about that one. All right, that sounds good. We look forward to, to connecting with him and asking him. And then what about then Artunis, the name? Am I saying that right? Yeah, um, I think it's Artunis or something like that. So I think we both we both um, like roughly close to it. So um, Artunis was a, a Persian um, female um, warrior. Right. Okay. Under the rule of Cyrus the Great, or one of those, um, one of those older periods, and um, Linda knows the history behind it properly. But she gotcha. was quite familiar with this figure from history, yeah. and um, decided that it'd be quite a cool name because she's she's Iranian, um, yeah. and uh, thought that it would be yeah cool to have this name. And I just thought it when she told me about it, I was like, oh, that's so cool, and um, <laughs> it, it flows quite well as well. And it's easy to abbreviate and that sort of thing. So it just, yeah, kind of Beautiful. We looked into it. And then, and Laz did the brand design and he's he was all over that as the brief. Yeah. He loved it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. No, well, those, both those names of the companies really caught my eye when I was um, reading through and looking at those. And thanks for the info that you sent through to date. But it's great to, to hear that in, in terms of from yourself, what you guys are doing and how you just go about doing that. So... I want to just delve into from my side from a young age from the age of 18 and we'll talk about obviously your your move to Perth because I have a question and stuff around that although it seems like it was uh, maybe the catalyst was the the second earthquakes and stuff that happened and all that sort of thing but um you're from the age of 18 it seems like because you're 29 now yeah seems like you were traveling from what I was reading each year so when you say each year from the age of 18 and you went to Brazil first, then you started traveling to Europe, how long mm -hmm. were you spending in those places and why the travel? Um, yeah, so basically the backstory on how I got to Brazil initially. So I'd actually, um, <clears throat> uh, my parents were separated growing up and I was right. raised by my dad who, um, he was involved uh, like in the early phases of IT development and that sort of stuff. Yeah. And so he was, um, we were uh, growing up in Nelson and that sort of thing. Um, from a young age, he, um, he was actually running his own IT company, like startup type thing from the early nineties. So in the real early sort of before startups were even a thing. And, um, we were doing lots of travel, um, at, at those sort of times when I was growing up through, um, intermediate and going into high school and that sort of stuff. And I spent time in the States got to go over, um, I went to middle school for a year in Minneapolis, St. Paul, um, and got to do some pretty cool stuff over there. Um, I actually just touching on that. So, um, it's just yeah. been Thanksgiving weekend and yeah. just in my mind, a story popped into my head. I was like, we were, um, we went, we got the opportunity to go out. Dad had a girlfriend at the time in Minneapolis and their, um, family had a sort of holiday house in an area called the Great Lakes up near the Wisconsin border. Right. And we all we got to go up there and actually experience the true American Thanksgiving experience. Wow. And it was like the first major snowfall for the year. So I was got to like tear through the streets of this like um, American little village on a quad bikes and tearing through the woods <laughs> and that sort of stuff, which was pretty cool. Awesome. Um, but yeah, so I got I kind of got that travel that exposure to the the big wide world at an early age. And um, going through high school and all that sort of stuff, 
any time that a new student would arrive from a different country or anything like that, I'd go up and I'd be like, oh, hey, bro, like, where are you from? What's your story and all this sort of stuff. And then by the end of, because I went to Burnside High yeah. and that school was a really prominent school in Christchurch for having um, lots of exchange students come through. Wow. <clears throat> and we got, so from, they started coming around year 11 and um, so, but we got wind by the next year that basically every year that they came, they were coming from the same school in Brazil, as an example. Yeah. And then, so we were like, oh, so we'd tell the guys when they were going back, we'd be like, oh, when the next lot come over, give them our details. And then when they touch down in Christchurch, we'll like show them the ropes even before school starts. <laughs> and, <all that> sort <laughs> <of stuff. laughs> and so developed a really awesome network of Brazilian mates, actually, predominantly from Sao Paulo, but all over the country. And then, so when they, when the final batch went back and we graduated in year 13, they were like, bro, come to Brazil and we'll like show you the Brazilian experience. Like you've showed us the, the experience here in Christchurch and Aotearoa. So that was, I jumped on that straight away. Um, my bro Leroy was a bit hesitant at the start, but then once yeah. I went and did it, he was like, all right, I'm going now. That's awesome. <laughs> and how long did you spend over there? Or how uh, so you... I was there for, in total, it was about three months, I think. Um, Wow. Yeah, and so I was, it was predominantly in Sao Paulo, yeah. which is like this giant mega city, which I don't know, I probably wouldn't actually, unless you're real keen, encourage people to go there unless you know people, because it's kind of this massive thriving metropolitan like super city. Right. I think it's a population of about 20 million, but it's kind of, it's not a real touristy kind of thing. It's nothing like Rio. Um, right, okay. But if you've got mates in Brazil, but in saying that, you could probably just go there and if you're, if you're outgoing and stuff, you'll meet people that'll show you around and that sort of stuff. But predominantly... <laughs> show you South the ropes Poland, like you were showing in the ropes, eh? Yeah, that's it, that's <laughs> it. <laughs> and then um, I uh, travelled down south from there to a place called Curitiba um, and then down into the state of Florianopolis, um, wow. which are all cool little areas down in the south and south um, southeast of Brazil. Right. How's your how's your Portuguese, Tom? Mm. Yo follow un poco. Yo follow un poco oh. Portuguese. <laughs> Not a lot, but I can I I know enough to get a lot get by over That's there. That's nice. So. Yeah. Yo falo un poco de portuguese, mas ainda Muito bom, bom, muito bom, yeah. mano. Yeah, muito bom. <laughs> what about you, Brian? Your turn now. Uh, yeah, that's good. So next question. <laughs> Mate, that's awesome. I, I, uh, did you, did you, cause I know you do BJJ and stuff now. We, did you go and attend any of the classes and stuff there while you were there and get some training? Um, so we were in, um, my mate, Tiago, he, um, was living in, um, a neighborhood called, uh, Murumbi, which is, I don't know if you're familiar with Shootbox, Shootbox Diego Lamar is like a real po prominent, um, Shootbox gym, um, okay, I'm and one of the primary gyms. So that was actually founded in Curitiba, but their gym for Sao Paulo, the city, yeah. um, and state was in this suburb, Morumbi, and he'd grown up training there. So we we never actually went along and um, and did a training session, but we went through. He like took me to the gym and introduced me to all the guys, and like yeah, got to see it at face value and meet them, and they're all just really awesome dudes. I'm actually hoping at some stage probably after COVID to cruise back over and just do some, do some training eh, through, yeah, through that gym cool, with eh? the boys. Wow. But, That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. We'll definitely come back to some of the, the training and stuff that you're doing now as well through the mill, um, yeah, which is sure. sort of, I guess, how we've, how we've connected um, there as well through the, through your work and time there at the mill. And 
um, getting to know you, which has been really good for myself and for Brian, um, and we've really appreciated that, but we'll get to that as we go through. I'm just keen to hear a bit more about, so there's, there's the Brazilian aspect. What about, um, and I, I realize it's only a small part of it, so feel free yeah. to talk a bit more about it if you like, but then into yeah, no, Europe. Yeah. yeah, so, okay, so got back from Brazil, and then um, in essence, um, I'll be bouncing back and forward a wee bit here because it's kind of, um, so it got back to Christchurch and then not long after that, the first earthquake hit. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was like, oh yeah, that was a bit of a bit of a shock to the system. And then, but it was all good. Like after the first one, we were like, oh yeah, like it was an earthquake, but it should be sweet. Yeah. And then, but after the second one, it was like, oh, nah, this is, yeah. yeah not good um so but anyway to, to to get to the point where i ended up in europe um i'll just go for skip forward a step and we can come back and talk about that stuff later if you want but um yeah yeah definitely so from perth um i ended up sort of um basically having a an, uh, an income or an earning capacity which allowed me to travel as well more so then i was like oh okay well i'm i knew that i was hungarian but i'd never been back to hungary and so I was like, as soon as I had, you know, accumulated enough leave um, and that sort of stuff, and it was summertime and I'd got wind that some of my mates were already on their way over or whatever, I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Hungary. So I made contact with my second cousins yeah. and was like, all right, I'm going to cruise over. And they're like, we're waiting for you, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I ended up going to Hungary first. And this would have been probably around 20, 2012-ish. Yep uh at the age of i would have been about that that was like a year after i arrived in australia so gotcha. um yeah 2021 20, um at that point and uh so yeah basically after that trip of, of meeting the family and um getting to know budapest at least at face value i was yeah. i was like oh mate this is awesome so every year i would go back from that point visit budapest first yeah basically and then i'd usually um make my way make my way down into like croatia and um yeah greece yeah. southern mainly southern and southeastern europe is like where where my kind of stomping ground is i really know it quite quite well yeah um and i've uh, been to wedding gone back for weddings in places like romania which is a pretty interesting country and in terms of well a lot of the countries are like in terms of because the borders have changed so many times over the years mm. we've got you sort of got family or family connections or friends that are inside what's now known as Romania proper, but they're all ethnically Hungarian and they speak Hungarian and, and, you know, the borders changed, but the culture and the people didn't never change. So I'm um, yeah, getting to experience that stuff. But, um, funny story on the, 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 just the Southeast and Southern Europe thing. We just before COVID, we went back to like, I've never been to England. Right, I've never okay. been to that side and people are like, yeah. oh, that, they find that a bit odd. <laughs> like. Yeah sometimes because like oh you've been to europe so been to london you, and all that yeah yeah that's like, nah, I'm over on my other side. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah we got to go to france to um spent time in paris and then visited a um, cousin that was based um, just north of toulouse at the time running a hunting yeah. estate there then went out to the riviera for a bit of a visit in 2019 just prior to COVID heading so that's as far um yeah, as far west as I've been in terms of Europe would be France. And do you speak Hungarian as well? Um, so I don't speak it. I'm not but sure why. It. Yeah, I can understand it. So mm. because my grand, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents growing up. 
Yeah. Um, and they were, they were living here in Perth. So that's how I had exposure to Perth as well. Gotcha. What led yeah. to me, led me to be comfortable with coming over here post quakes and that sort of stuff. So, yeah. um, growing up and just being in the house around them and that talked to me in Hungarian and when, you know, when we were kids and stuff, but I never, I'm not sure what it was. It's not like, um, I, I think, I don't know whether there was just no necessity or, um, you know, dad was just too busy or whatever to be able to, you know, cause it's a pretty complex language. Yeah. And, um, if you don't use it, you definitely like do lose it. I think of, or from what I've experienced just from dad, not speaking it for long periods of time and then going back and engaging in conversation. It's sort of like, oh, that didn't sound like it went too well or something like that, just <laughs> or whatever. But, but yeah, I can if, say if two people were having a conversation, I can understand what they're, I can get the gist of what they're talking about, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I got you. It's, I don't know if you, if you know much about the Hungarian lang language itself, but it's one of those ones that it's got its own dialect. So there's no <laughs> other... Like it doesn't have um, bits and pieces of Spanish or Germanic languages or whatever. It's sort of like it's similar to Chinese Mandarin in that it's its own dialect and it's completely different to anything else. Wow. No, I didn't um, know that. Yeah. yeah, that's why it makes it so difficult to kind of um, pick up on because you'd be with French or German or some of these other languages, you can kind of be like, oh, that word's similar to this word or or, yeah, yeah. or whatnot. But with Hungarian, it's just like what? Like the first time you hear it, I don't know if you've heard Hungarian before, but you'll be like what the hell are they what is this <laughs> what yeah. are they talking about pretty much okay. yeah. hey it's I think I, oh sorry I go think, b let's go i was gonna say I, I think i might have heard a little bit of hungarian on taken you know liam neeson but that's probably about it yeah is, nah, they were um, no, they were albanian bro Those oh they're albanian yeah, yeah, not even albanian. close yeah, yeah oh, so that's like that way they're, they're yeah um way. yeah oh, they? north are they north africa or yeah, I'm not oh, sure down that way. Albanians are based, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't even know how I knew that they were Albanian, actually. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, they <laughs> so in short, Brian, no, you haven't heard any Hungarian. No, no I haven't heard of it. Okay, right there. But no, um, I hey, it. I was going to say on that on that Hungarian piece um, because it is interesting, and you've got a bit of a, a backdrop story to that. You know, obviously with. Uh, with the immigration and your guys' journey, I believe, from your family side to New mm. Zealand. Would mm. you mind speaking a little bit about that, please, bro? Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, cool. Okay. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so my grandparents came out to New Zealand um, basically after the Hungarian Revolution. Mm. And so... Um, Hungary, I'm not sure, like, we don't learn, and well, at least me growing up in New Zealand and Christchurch and going to high school and that, we never, you never, we never really learn anything about the history of like what happened in Europe after World War II and that sort of stuff. Yeah. But um, Hungary got a real raw deal because they, they were basically under Nazi occupation during um, World War II, in essence. And then at the end of World War II, when Europe got divided up into East and West, type situation and one side went to the west one side went to the to the uh to the east per se so russia basically mm. um they were under soviet occupation and that was like arguably worse and a lot of people don't know um sort of the history behind it and that sort of stuff but for though for anyone who ever um goes to visit to visit budapest goes over to visit budapest i'd encourage them to visit a museum called the terror house terror house 
And um, so basically it's a two level museum um, that covers both the Nazi and the Soviet occupation of, of Budapest. Right. Um, and it's powerful, it's a pretty powerful museum. Um, so yeah, so a little bit of a backstory. So my, my great grandfather was um, basically, he was a, a mining engineer um, based near to a university uh, city called Szeged in Hungary. And um, so he was half Jewish and half Gypsy. Yeah, and both, right. yeah, yeah, so both of those minorities were targeted by the Nazis during World War II. And um, so once they started um, basically turning on the people, um, the, yeah, uh, he, basic, uh, he basically got put on a list. Um, and my uh, grandfather and his brothers at that point got wind of it yeah. and had to essentially go to Sagad, rescue him from the situation because um, he was like a senior mining engineer and was like involved politically as well and had a had a presence and sort of like um, was really respected actually a respected member of society up until that point yeah. and then it just goes to show like in periods of history like things can change like real real quick and um, mm. it just so happened that it did for him and basically his colleagues and all that basically turned on him and uh, to the point where they'd handed his name off to these people that were going to kill him. And so my grandparents and his brothers went over to basically rescue him from the situation. And at that point, we ended up having to change our family name, which is why our name is so unorthodox. Um, it's not actually, if you look at it, it's not Hungarian. And Hungarians will point that out to you as well whenever you're in conversation with them. Like, yeah, they're like, your name's not Hungarian. I'm like, yeah, yeah, well, sort of. Well, I don't know. I just, I don't really talk too much, elaborated on it, on it too much. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, so uh, changed the name and then kind of um, were able to assume new identities and all that sort of stuff. But they actually stayed in Hungary. So um, for, a, for a period of time after that, basically. Yeah. And then my grandfather, who was a great sort of, um, he was very patriot, he was a very patriotic Hungarian. Yeah. Um, when the uprising occurred in 1956, he was sort of around the age of um, university uh, at that time. Yeah. And it was, I'm not sure if you're familiar what, with what kicked that whole uprising off, uh, up or off. Oh, sorry. But, um, basically, students were protesting in a square in Budapest and um, Russian or Soviet soldiers were basically given the order just to open up on the crowd just to, with machine guns put an end to the to the protests yeah and uh that was the sort of precedent which led to an uprising um by the people of hungary or budapest proper basically is yeah. where the main sort of like uh revolution um sort of occurred but they um so the people organized and sort of created militias they broke into police stations and armed themselves and this sort of stuff and you had literally you had like teenagers dropping bloody uh, as the revolution progressed because basically what happened was um, the Americans, nothing against the Americans at all, but they um, they had said, um, a, a radio broadcast had gone out to say, you know, uh, we're in distress, we need help. And the Americans had told the Hungarian people that they were coming, and that gave them the will to fight, in essence. Right. Um, but they, they didn't end up coming in the end, so Russian tank columns basically just rolled into Budapest and just opened up and, yeah. and slaughtered everyone to gain control of the city again. But yeah, you had like teenagers dropping Molotovs on Molotov. Russian tanks and 
women and men that were in regular jobs literally bonding together in militias to try and fight against this sort of foreign invading force, if you will. But um, anyway, they stayed and they kind of were um, involved in that. And then afterwards realized once the Russians had sort of like consolidated control of the city again, that it was time to to get out of there because they were probably going to be searching for people that were involved yeah. in the in the dissidents that occurred through that period. Um, and so that led to a um, basically my grandparents who were, yeah, as I say, they were around the age of sort of 2021 20, at the time, I guess it was, um, making the decision that they needed to get out of Hungary. And so they tried on multiple occasions, actually, and they got arrested twice and locked up. Um, wow. Uh, and locked up by twice. Russians? By Russians, yeah. Yeah, right. And on the third occasion, there was a, a story of, there's a number of, if you've ever, have you ever visited Budapest at all? I haven't, no, no. not yet. I, I encourage you to do so if you do get an yeah. opportunity, because it's like, I might be biased, but it's a pretty beautiful city. It's kind of, um, you've got, it's a river in between, um, the Danube River runs in between, and you've kind of got the, well, I say modern, but it's not modern by our terms of modern, because our countries are only like 200 years old by, um, you know, what we know them as now, at least. But um on the on one side you've got kind of the medieval side so the castle buddha castle and that sort of thing and then pest right. is like the the new city where the parliament building is that you might have seen in pictures and stuff but there's lots of bridges around the city and there was a story of um my grandmother and grandfather basically crossing a bridge and there was there was checkpoints and russians just everywhere basically after the revolution um young russian soldiers basically that were just operating you know there wasn't a lot of accountability or, or anything like that that went on back then under those circumstances so yeah. there was a there was a story where i think this was kind of like the precedent this was after that had already been captured twice and um and released but they were crossing a bridge and um Oppel, which is the name for i used to call we call him Oppel. it's nodge papa which means granddad but we called him dad because he was such a um just a uh, he was a father figure to us, really, yeah. even though like dad, I had my dad as well, who obviously is a very good father figure, but yeah. he as well was just a great leader. And um, I'll touch on that more later down track. But yeah. basically, they're crossing this bridge and he had a pistol on him. <clears throat> and so they were like approaching this checkpoint. And um, I only found out about this very late, close to his death, because he never really talked about it. Mm. And we were able to get this one story out of him, basically. Whereby, and it didn't come from him, it came from my grandma as well. And she wouldn't tell us anything else after this. But um, basically, pistol on him. And um, my grandma was like, pass the pistol to me quickly. And so they made, you know, shuffled the pistol over and she put it in, in her handbag. Um, and she was thinking in her mind, apparently, like, you know, they're probably going to frisk him. And then there's a, there's a lower chance that they'll frisk me. But if they had have been caught with that pistol, they would have been shot on site. No doubt about it. Because so, anyone that was armed was involved in the in the resistance, yeah, in essence. Resistance, yeah, right. So, yeah, sure enough, they got lucky, sort of, because the, they ended up frisking the um, frisk, frisking my grandfather, and then she actually offered, like, the like put the hand back out to say, "Do you want to search it?" And they're like, "No, nah, you're right, go." Yeah, right. If, yeah, if they had to search that bag, that probably would have been the end for them, I think. But. Oh, um, wow. And that was one of the that was the precedent basically that um 
led them to saying, okay, that's it. We need to get out now because we're not like that's all our luck's out now is <laughs> run out. Yeah. So, how, so they, how old were was, they? Oh, sorry, go go. Yeah, so not long after that, they made their way south and they ended up um, crossing at night. They used they basically conducted reconnaissance um, for a series of days or weeks and identified weak points and crossed at night. And they basically crossed separately as well. And they said, um, basically, if one person, if one of us gets caught, just don't worry about it. Like the other just goes. And they basically said their final goodbyes to one another and were like, because if they had got caught, there's actually a good chance back then that they might, they might not have ever seen each other again. And I probably never would have come into existence. Come so we wouldn't have been having this combo. Yeah, that's right. Eh? <laughs> yeah, they ended up crossing and they got over and it was good. So they ended up, yeah, getting, awesome. getting out. That's good that they got out and that, um, yeah, that because otherwise, yeah, I was going to say we never would have had you on this podcast. No, nah, that's for sure. <laughs> but um, I'm interested, how did they get released the first two times? Like what happened there? Was it just... I'm like... not I'm not sure. Yeah, oh, okay, so yeah, we, yeah. we got told this story, as I say, and yeah, um, gotcha. we know that my granddad was involved in the re revolution, like actively yeah. involved, but, and I'm sure my grandma was as well, but they never spoke about it and... Um, they never even told us about the fact that our name had been changed or anything like that. Or everything was kept basically from us to protect us. Wow, in essence. that's powerful can history I, there, man. Yeah, can, can I, I ask Tom? I mean, just hearing that is just, I can, I can feel the history, but I can mm. feel this, um, this closeness. I, I'm wondering, how does that make you feel? Because mm. you're, you're essentially one degree removed and it's so close to you yeah. yeah how does that make you feel uh, knowing that this is what your grandparents went through or what they did yeah it makes me feel um even more motivated to contribute to my community actually mm, uh awesome. whether it's here or whether it's my community back home in new zealand yeah. just because knowing the sacrifices and actually knowing how quickly things can change as well like putting in the work to make sure that, you know, you look after one another because you never know when you might bloody, yeah, when things will change. And that kind of was, was actually relevant for the earthquake even. Like that came out of nowhere. And, uh, yeah. and I think if you can speak about that because we, we hadn't gotten to that and that was part of the catalyst for your move in that as well. Yeah. Yeah, if you want, I can, um, I can finish off. I'll tell you what happened once they got out of Hungary if you want. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, please, yeah, yeah. please. Yeah, so, because where did they, yeah, go, go. Yeah, so they, they, they ended up going south, I think, and crossing over what was the Yugoslavia border, in essence. That was what was deemed to be the weakest um, point mm -hmm. for them to point. cross. Yeah. And so was they were... The weakest but safest point, was it? Or? That's what that identified, yeah. And I think it wasn't just them. So there was, there was groups of people that were coordinating... Basically, it was, I think it was people that were involved in the resistance were coordinating together to identify yeah. weak points so that they could cross. And they got vulnerable people out as well from just reading between the lines and hearing along, sort of, yeah, hearing about what happened. But um, so they ended up in Yugoslavia for a certain point. And then they were in Genoa, which is in Italy. I think it's north of Italy for a period of around about... I think it was up to it was like 18 to 24 months in essence so it would have been it was a cross that was run, it was a, a camp that was run by the red cross basically a, a refugee camp yeah um and up until the day opal died actually he he donated to the red cross every year because they looked after them so well in that period 
but he became quite a um, sort of a bit of a community leader within that camp. And um, once they got the, everyone got basically, you know, all the paperwork had been filled out and all that sort of stuff. They got the, they got given the old, um, the old question popped to them, which, so this is probably a familiar story for many who might be listening to this podcast that are of European descent that ended up coming out to Australia and New Zealand or wherever it is that you ended up, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, America, they got asked the question, where do you want to go? And there was a bunch of different countries. So it would have been Australia, New Zealand, Canada, um, or Germany, I think as well. There was a couple of other ones there that were random countries, but my granddad was like, I don't even think they knew what Australia was back then, let alone New Zealand. But he was like, I want to get as far away from this place as possible. <laughs> and so he picked New Zealand. And, um, and because they developed this kind of community within this camp, a whole bunch of other families came out as well with them. So they came out to Wellington initially. Yeah. Um, and I think there was like, there was, I think there was about 20 families. So it was a pretty... Wow pretty decent sized community yeah and uh, many of those families ended up coming with Opal on your Opal down to Christchurch which is where they ended up finally settling and um, I've touched on this with you Joe but they ended yeah. up basically all um, they all lived within about a five to ten kilometers you know, sort of five kilometer square radius of one another so they could all have each other's back and that sort of thing and they all got jobs started to contribute to the community and um, they all chipped in together because they used to have basically my granddad was kind of like the leader of the community and all every weekend they'd all come around to like my grandparents place and like have a have dinner and have you know whatever else play music and that sort of thing in the garage and then so they all were like oh we might as well like all chip in like save up and we'll buy a like a club clubhouse which is what they did and um that clubhouse is actually still there to this day. So they all chipped in. They purchased this place, which is called the Hungarian Community Club in New Brighton in Christchurch. May. And um, it's owned by the Hungarian community under a trust. So it's not owned by anybody. It's owned by the community. And it's, um, you know, for generations, as long as it's maintained and all that sort of stuff, people will be able to be able to go there on a Sunday and all catch up as a community and eat and shoot pool and do whatever they want to do but that is awesome. actually it's all it's led to a really interesting point down track where um in 19 uh, sorry in 2016 it was was the 50th anniversary of the revolution in 56 right and since then the hum hungarian ambassador to new zealand they've been sending uh, basically this diplomat down to christchurch um very frequently actually to make sure that everything's operating smoothly and because all the all of the um original kind of members and that sort of thing they're all getting quite old now and they're all going to be passing on soon yeah. but there's lots of young hungarian families that have actually come out since the revolution as well which might not be familiar with or have gone there and they're like oh this is just like a bunch of oldies so probably not going <laughs> to spend too much time here but Basically, he was kind of, I'm not sure whether he was tasked, but whatever, to come and try and reinvigorate the community, which they've actually managed to do quite successfully from what I hear. Um, and now when they do certain dinners or whatever it is, like they, they, the whole club is thriving like what it used to be back in the day type thing. So really be happy a place. To that. Yeah, that's great to hear, I would imagine, especially with your connection to that from your family's side. And have yeah. you been 
when was the last time you were there, um, Tom? Um, yeah, so whenever I go back to visit um, my dad, who still lives in Christchurch, we go on a Sunday, go and catch up, and they're all, all the oldies are always like, good, like, um, oh, they're always just, when they see me, they just, they almost, it's weird, they have this weird reaction, because it's like they've, I think they see my granddad, see maybe, yeah. they get very emotional, and they always come up and talk to me, and like, embrace me, and it's a very nice. powerful place for me at least like just because whenever i go there i get this connection if that makes sense so i don't go there very often but when i do it's it's always a treat to yeah to see everyone there that's great man so every weekend they get to get, or every sunday is it or yeah so every sunday and then they'll have certain days of the year like easter and at christmas time new year's eve's a big one yeah um, <laughs> that's yeah, coming uh, up yeah that's it that's it <laughs> And then they celebrate the, um, they commemorate the revolution every year as well. So, wow, yeah. that is very cool. What a cool story, man. But a lot of power and, and value and history in that. I love the question that Brian asked, how that makes you feel and can only imagine. Um, yeah, no one's ever of... asked me that. Well, I, to be honest, I've never really spoken to anyone about this, to be honest. So it's quite good to be able to talk to you guys and tell the story about it. So, but man, when Brian great. asked me that question, I was like, felt a bit emotional, actually. So, uh, yeah. Good on you. Good on you. That's yeah. That's great for us to hear, man. So thank you very mm. much for, for yeah. sharing that thank um, you. piece of history. And it's, you know, it just makes me reflect. And probably for yourself too, it would would be great, you know, if you imagine how much more history you and your family could have had you been able to have the opportunity, or or had your grandparents been willing to, you know, perhaps speak a little bit more. But I can understand and respect why they probably didn't want to speak about a lot of that. Yeah, I think there was there was definitely reasons why, and um, well, certainly um, with relation to my granddad, he never they never went back until after the fall of the Soviet Union. So after that occurred, which I think was in around ninety one, they went back after that. But up until that point, no way. So yeah. because of just because of that, we never asked any questions. We thought we'd just leave it at that. I mean, having to we'd already had to change our name and all that sort of stuff, and we knew about that, but. You yeah. just sort of got told, just don't ask any questions and yeah. you won't hear Fair any enough. lies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. But it's probably, yeah, that, that yeah. generation and that mindset too, eh, of, of that time. And um, yeah, don't ask any questions. But I just think how how powerful and impactful those those experiences, those stories would impact the younger ones coming through. So they wouldn't have, they potentially, it wouldn't have as much of, oh, they're just a bunch of oldies. Like there's some- Yeah, no, for sure. But I think, yeah, so to that point with regards to the ambassador and stuff coming through, I think that might be a part of it. So they're, they're really putting emphasis. Like he, um, I spoke to my dad recently and he said that they've just recently sent a new Hungarian ambassador to New Zealand out to Wellington. And he, apparently he rocked up to Christchurch, like he'd just arrived in, in, into the country, finished yeah. his quarantine or whatever. And then went straight down there and did this amazing speech. So, that's awesome. so it would have been that would have been the sort of thing that the younger generation would be good and inspiring for them to hear. Yeah. So, and the good thing is nowadays we're so interconnected, and you can basically get access to information on you know archived information and that sort of stuff about it. So, yeah. yeah. That's true, that's but cool. yeah, getting back to your story, your question about the um, the earthquakes and that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, basically, as I said previously, like after the first one, um, we thought, oh, you know, we can, this is all good. We can, we can, uh, you know, 
take that one on the chin and then move on. But after the second one in, in February of 2011, that just come out of nowhere, that quake. And um, I was actually in the city at the time. We lived in um, Chester Street West, which is next to Victoria Park, if you're familiar with Christchurch at all. But some people will, will be maybe that are listening. It's near the courthouse. Okay. Um, and in essence, basically when it happened, it was around 2 p.m. So our street was one of the streets that people were funneling through to kind of like get out of the CBD. And um, there was, we were digging for like six to, t to eight hours because my, uh, we lived in a, um, like an apartment complex there yeah. and the neighbor over the fence, he had liquefaction coming up through his garage, pouring out of the garage windows and just flooding the driveway. And I, we sort of identified early on, we're like, shit, if we don't um, channel a moat for this yeah. water to be able to escape, then our house was going to flood. So me and me and my dad and um, a couple of the other neighbors were like dig just constantly digging the smoke because you'd finish the moat and then it's like you'd yeah. finish it <laughs> yeah. and then yeah. the liquefaction's like come up and it's gone again. Yeah. <laughs> so we basically had to keep digging until the liquefaction stopped coming out of the ground and it was something like 200 tons of liquefaction that come out of this guy's oh, garage. Man. It was Man, insane. But it was good that we did that because our house, our complex, um, we went to, I kept, we come across to um, Perth for, for three to four weeks after that, um, that incident occurred. Yeah. Uh, and then I came back. But if we had not have done that digging, then our house would have flooded and we, we would have been yellow stickered or red stickered instead of green stickered. And green stickered. So you had green sticker means you can live in the place because it's structurally sound. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yellow sticker means it needs more engineering or inspection to see whether it's safe to live in. And yeah. red means it's condemned, which I think 50% of the CBD was condemned in the end. Mm. So if you look there's at still the, some, um, yeah, there's still some, uh, I went to Christchurch CBD, uh, obviously pre COVID, but there's still, while they're rebuilding, there's still some buildings there that still have, you can see the, the spray paint marks and yeah bro so I've got, a funny, I've got a good story about that so um we come over here my dad and i came over here after immediately sort of following the quakes because all all infrastructure was kaput basically there was no water electricity or anything within the cbd because the epicenter of that quake was at a depth of like it was quite shallow and it was like centered in i think it was like um one of the quakes because i think there was two quakes simultaneously like one, one quake set off another fault line that they didn't even know about that was in like Hagley Park or yeah. something. So it was real close to the CBD. I, I, mm. I hope I'm right in that. That's, I heard that somewhere um, and I'm pretty, like I hope I am right about that. If I'm not, I'm sorry to all the ge geologists out there or whatever. That are, <laughs> but it was something along those lines. Anyway, one thing that's indisputable is the fact that the CBD got wrecked basically. And um, so we shot over to Perth for a few weeks just while they did all the USAR stuff. Cause they had teams coming in and they were basically like there's you know you can't stay here basically until we clear the city yeah but when i so i came back before my dad um and so by then all the army cordons had been set up around the four abs of the cbd yeah and i sort of had all my papers to get through but they're like no one lives in the cbd the guys on the cordon were like bro no one lives in the cbd anymore the city's like stuffed <laughs> 
<laughs> so I was like, nah, we've got green, like our papers are green. We can still live in here. And he's like, he had to like go up the chain of command and be like, we've got this guy, Gordon, and he like, he reckons that he still lives in the CBD. <laughs> anyway, so I ended up getting clearance, but I was, I came in from like, um, uh, one of the avenues basically and got to come all the way through the city up, um, like through the CBD. So you saw everything. Was, Bro, it was like, honestly, it was like you were in like this apocalypse film, eh? So like, because all the shop signs and all the f shops and all that were still open. Yeah. And like shop signs and stuff out front. And it was just bizarre. No one in the city. Yeah. But like Brian's saying, there was like just crosses, spray spray paint marks on the buildings to say this building's been clear. And then it'd be like USAR team, whatever it was, whichever mm -hmm. country had gone through and cleared the building. Anyway, yeah, um, ended up back at, back home and all the doors had been like break, like sledgehammered in basically and so that they could clear all the properties. And um, yeah, the house was just completely like, well, wrecked, but um, we'd sort of put it together, but the uh, dust and stuff, there's the, liquefa uh, the um, liquefaction dried and it turns to dust. And there was so much dust from the rubble and all that. So the house was just a total mess, but yeah, yeah that was a bit of an experience. And then we actually lived in the house. So we lived in Chester Street West um, for, well, my dad lived there for like four years until he sold the, uh, four, to, four to five years until he sold the place. Yeah. But we lived in the, in the house while the um, city was under cordon for like 12 months until I left. And I think it was under cordon for more than 12 months. Wow. But yeah, so I'd always like go out and I'd, cause I'd be at, I was like 18 or 19 around that time. So I'd go out, meet my mates, have a night out on the beers or whatever. Then I'd come back and I'd like take a fry pan down to the corner. Cause I knew I'd often know some of the guys on the corner and we'd just like have a fry up in the morning on like the early hours of <laughs> Sunday morning or something. <laughs> cause it was a pretty boring old job for those lads. Like, especially as the time went on when all the looting and all that stopped, like they were just like, oh, this is pretty boring but yeah. yeah i think they ended up bringing in the um you know the reserves basically to yeah. um territorial to force to, the, to offset so the other boys could go and focus on you know what they usually do but yeah <laughs> far out man and so that and then you've so you've gone to australia then you've come back you've lived there for what'd you say about another 12 months yeah, it was about eight months. I think we ended up eight back. Months. So we made my mate and I, Leroy, who's been my best mate, been so fortunate to have like my best mate from high school, been able to stick together throughout the course of our life up until this point, at least. And he actually lives around the corner from He's me. He's just around the, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, bro, he lives around the corner. He's just had a baby. Shout out to um, Leroy and Leonidas, the newborn. Oh, nice. Yeah. Leonidas, the newest. Good name. Yeah. And um, so we, uh, Leroy had his brother over here um, at the time and my brother was here conveniently as well. So we we're like, the bros were like, oh, come over. You can just crash with us until you guys get your feet on the ground and get set up and squared away. So yeah, yeah we rock. We were like, okay, we'll take that. Yep, definitely. We'll come over. So we come over and yeah, basically haven't looked back since then. Eh? It's been good. And what year was that? Did you just move over? So that was 2011. So the quake was in February. I think it was yep. February 22nd by memory. Oh, okay. And then we were in Perth by November of that year. Of that year. Oh, gotcha. Yep. Wow. And then haven't looked back since, eh? Nah, pretty much. Like we always come home, um, yep. but it's been like, yeah, I always encourage people in New Zealand after this COVID thing's over, just like take a chance, 
got nothing to lose just come over see what this place is about and just see what see where see where the road takes you i say yeah, it takes you yeah yeah, yeah. Good advice, good tips, bro. Like, yeah, Perth is a beautiful place, as you mentioned, and um, lots of opportunities and stuff in Australia, and Perth being one of those, and obviously yeah. you guys are figuring that out. So when did you meet your now wife? She's Linda's your wife, right? Yeah. When did you meet her? Did you meet her in Perth, or...? Yes, yeah, yeah. So we met through mutual friends, and funnily enough, it was it all. A lot of the stories always come back to Leroy because me and him are too, like, we're thick as, thick as thieves. And like, he met his partner um, a week apart, and my our two partners knew one another. Right. So his partner's Brazilian, <laughs> and um, and Linda's um, Iranian by birth, and she's got an interesting story which I think you guys will hear down the track. Yeah. Um, but um. Yeah, um, they were mates, and then we ended up going on like a double date type thing, and then the rest is history, basically. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So that was around cool. um, so cool. 20, 2013, early 2013. 2013. Yeah. Nice. Quite awesome. early then, on in the piece, actually. Was she was she already a, a surgeon then, or a doctor then? Yes, yeah, so she a... was. She was first year first year in training. So they do a surgical education and training program, which is yeah. basically um, a five year training program. And she was on her, in her first, first term. Year of that. Yeah, first first year Far at that around, point. I mean, that would have been hectic, eh? Must have been hectic with all her studying and stuff like that. As oh, well mate, it's, just been, it's just been hectic the whole time. So I, that, <laughs> that's, that's just normal. Hectic's just normal, normal to me now, actually. Normal. <laughs> yeah. Hey, but, I, I always actually getting back to the that hectic and then tying that back into the earthquakes like yeah yeah I don't know what it is but I always I thrive in these moments of chaos I just I don't know what it is I know that might sound a bit odd but I actually I thrive in these environments where things are going a bit haywire if that makes sense. Why do you think that is? Yeah. I don't know what it is. It's like when something's Can't going explain. wrong, I just I'm, I have this like focus that comes yeah. over me. And the first time I experienced it was in Christchurch, like during the quakes. Yeah. And it's happened a couple of times since then. But yeah, that's why I like to try and expose myself to those types of environments, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Well, that's going to tie in with some of the questions that we have. And, and I guess it's a testament to the way that you you focused in on when that liquefaction and everything was coming up and digging yes. and digging and digging and needing to do what you needed to do yeah well it's kind of like a few, yeah. yeah yeah i don't on. i don't mean to sound um i don't know i don't mean to sound off by saying that i just yeah it's just a, something that when you talked about the the craziness of the training and all that sort of stuff mm. it has been fast paced yeah and it, it encourages you to like keep up to speed on whatever you're focusing on as well if, if that makes sense mm. It does. It does. Yeah. And I like how you've how you've shared that. It doesn't sound off or anything like that at all. Well not to me anyway. What about you, B? No, it doesn't. Actually what it sounds like to me is is almost a parallel to, to some of the stuff that you've talked about, Joe, and with some of the um like the um um SAS operators that we've talked through. Mm, yeah, true. There's a lot of I see some parallels like being the, the clarity in the moment. Um and it, it actually reminded me of what's it, um the All Blacks and they talk about the red head blue head yeah yeah you know, being being that grounded and, and not being in that red head space when chaos is fluttering around and you're um working around you but also when you just said that tom it also reminds me of i think something you you've said joe is just that when you're going through um 
uh, cycle, like you've, and of course you've been through a couple of times, but going through cycle and the, the intensity of the training, just boom, 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 and the knowledge, and Nick talked about the, uh, the capacity of the, increasing that bandwidth, you know, it's having that and be able to work within that, and that's what it sounds like it, mm. to me. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. It yeah, is well, a, it's like the the liquefaction thing. We sort of identified we were troubleshooting. The first thing we did was just check on our neighbours, basically, because mm. we had elderly neighbours on the street, and Dad was like, "Go and check on that building, and go and check on this building." And mm. basically, there was this one lady I remember basically just kicking her door in and going through the house just to make sure she was okay, and she was kind of like. And like a state of kind of shock, I think. Yeah. And we, I just brought her out onto the street and then put her down. And then I just, I didn't leave her there. I was just like, you'll be okay. Like everything will be fine. Someone, will, have you got someone you can call on that? So we got her on the phone to her eventually. It took a while because the, none of the calls were connecting, but we got her connected with somebody or some, one of her neighbors had come down and, um, and then I went back and dad was like, at this point, he was like, okay, here's a shovel. Because <laughs> he'd identify like, um if we don't yeah if it was either you dig or the house is going to flood because you could see the water rising and um it was funny when i got back i took a photo and sent it to the old man because it was like the water stopped just like a, a few mil before the like it would have entered the house basically and if that had happened then they definitely would have um yellow stickered the place at least to do more structural analysis yeah. i'd say yeah. so we got lucky definitely or it paid off to, to dig for a while yeah <laughs> yeah definitely well yeah we got to get some luck and that every now and then with with things that happen i do think that there's an element of luck and in, in everything that happens along um people might might have their own or might disagree with that but that's all right i, I wanted to ask because that a lot of that stuff that you've spoken about now it's been great to hear some of the history some of the rich history that you have um, some of the sacrifices that have been made leading up to this point, some of the experiences that you've gone through. But I want to I want to touch on, and this is something that not a lot of people are are brave enough, in my experience, to speak about in in forums or in things like this, um, in particular. Anyway, why I haven't come across them personally, but you had a strong desire to join the military, didn't you? Yes. Yeah, I did. And um, and so. With regards to you, and there's a there's a beautiful piece of which you've sent in some of the email communication that we've had about this need to fully commit to the path that you're on now and what you're doing, or you know, or forever sort of be stuck in this no man's land sort of thing and feeling like, oh man, I didn't fully commit to one or the other. And yeah. uh, it would be great if you're okay with this to to speak about um, one. Probably I'll just ask one question at a time. Why did you want to join the army or the military? Um, so I grew up in Nelson and Marlborough and, um, I was a part of a cadet unit there, Nelson right. army city cadets or Navy cadets or yeah, army. Yeah. And, um, uh, a guy by the name of major Hoffman, who he got promoted to major before he retired, he spent like 10 or maybe 15 years, um, with the, um, cadet forces in New Zealand. Right. And he was, um, they were kind of like, so the, um, the unit was next to the territorial forces, so we got exposed expo more exposure and insights into kind of like um, the regular army world, I guess, than most. But I spent like from I've joined that um, sort of unit when I was like thirteen and and stayed yeah. with the um, 
sort of indirectly because we were going back and forward overseas and and um, around the country and stuff with dad's work but i'd always yeah. come back to whether we went to christchurch i joined up with C the city of christchurch cadet unit as well yep and um so had that exposure to all of those skills both theory theoretical and practical stuff whether it be you know navigation bushcraft like first aid all of, like shooting all of the stuff that would have been would have been the foundations to mm. setting me up or and all the others up to to join the army many, many of my mates did that we were and we're still yeah, in touch right. to this day like yep. just bonds that were forged in those early years of life mm. um and inspired us towards that kind of um as a career to join the army type thing and then but but um the world had other plans with relation to stuff that happened and occurred and then so what happened was um yeah after the quakes got over here uh and i started i got a like got normal jobs and that sort of stuff um off the bat so working as a chippies offsider up in port headland there and then yep. um and that sort of thing but then i was like oh i want to i want to at least join the reserves yep. um type thing and but then got shut down pretty early in the piece actually so they were like nah like we don't take kiwis um the laws have oh, changed really? and yeah they were just like nah no one with a kiwi passport can join the adf oh, really? so i was like oh wow i was totally blown away actually eh? like yeah i was thinking oh that doesn't make a lot of sense but okay um but yeah so that was that was kind of shut cut short and then so i've just looked for other ways to try and mm. you know over the years yeah, I've had that passion, that desire to be able to serve, but never had the opportunity to do so. If that makes sense, and yeah, so yeah. that's the crux of what get, gave me the desire. Anyway, was the serving with the cadets in the younger in my younger yeah, years. Awesome, awesome. And you were at one stage, you were also looking at because I'm going to tie this together with regards to mm -hmm. and, and ask you how you've come to make that decision that you're in now with the stuff yeah. that you do because it still aligns perfectly. You're serving others, you're risking putting yourself and and to a degree the people that you're supporting um them at risk as well by trusting you and all that sort of stuff with yep, regards to the work that you do I agree with that, that yeah so the there was a time or a period where you were because you're doing a support shot fires role for orica and stuff as well yep. out in boddington that was it there at boddington gold mine and that sort of stuff yeah too. so i mentioned so the first year that i got over here as i say i was working as a i got a i was just applying for anything and everything basically yeah. on gumtree here is that gumtree yeah. is that website that you, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. for. <laughs> and i got a role with the um as a chippies offsider initially and um spent a few months up in port uh port headland just yeah. building um that was it's always funny because it's uh, i always end up with ended up with kiwi crews so it was like um so that was I a that. <laughs> kiwi chippy um and it was like um another kiwi builder that was up there that he was contract uh, had had on as a subby and then he had um, a couple of irish lads a scott and then me as the laborer yeah and so we we're just doing commercial and residential kind of constructions up there in port headland and that would have been that was the year that i arrived so 2011 wow. the following yeah. year i did a um i got a role based back in perth because it was cyclone so basically we came yeah. back down for christmas and then cyclone season happened and it was a real bad year for cyclone so i, I yeah. he paid for like two flights or three flights and he was like oh mate i'm not paying for another flight if you want to come up you can pay your own way or whatever but yeah, gotcha. sorry about it and i was like oh okay well then probably won't come back then like i'll look for another job yeah i didn't pull the pin on it yet though i didn't say that yet i made sure i had the other <laughs> job lined up <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but anyway i ended up getting this interview with a company called drill quit 
which manage or they um, they service subsea drilling tools and wellheads yep. for the rigs off the coast here. Yeah. Did that for a while and then it was just basically working and trying to get to the next step basically. So you work for a company and then you apply for other jobs whilst you're working in that environment and um, ended up finally getting a job that I thought I'd be happy with, which I was actually for the term that I was with them, which was with Orica. Started off as a bench hand and then um, as working my way up to the support shop buyer's role. Yeah. And it was a really interesting job, that one, actually, because um, we it was a Kiwi shop fire. We had a, um, t the 2IC was this um, Māori lady, and shout out to Anne, she's a legend. <laughs> and then we had myself as the kind of like just um, the he uh, doing all the labouring work basically on the shop doing all the loading the holes and, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and then we had Marco, who looked, there's this Italian dude who looked a little bit like Mario, who was the, the, uh, <laughs> Mario the, Luigi. the new operator, Luigi. the explosive truck Mario. operator. And then we had this other chick who was a laborer, basically my, um, we worked together um, doing the laboring side of stuff. And she was a former Navy um, mine clearance operator, like a drone underwater yeah. mine clearance operator. Yeah. that had come on board so she was interesting as well but yeah that's what we're up to and we're that was a real interesting period as, as well because we weren't doing production stuff if i don't know if you're familiar with the like mining explosives stuff at all but you've kind of got this two components so you've got um production stuff which is just like um filling giant holes on a face basically and just blasting shells to mm. accumulate the ore for them to to mine basically but what Orica does is they do engineering projects. There's two divisions, and, and we were working with the engineering side of stuff, whereby um, we were doing, well, the Boddington job um, was a tailings dam expansion. So we doubled the capacity of their tailings dam there. Yeah. Um, they were also mining the bauxite because it was all bauxite out there. But we were, we were getting to use non-electronic explosives, which is not that common nowadays, which was really interesting to, le uh, to learn because you got to learn how to work with non-electronic um yeah explosives which explosives. are the difference between electronic and non-electronic is basically you'd prime load a hole but then you've actually got to tie the whole shot with delays one and a half two and a half three and a half millisecond delays yeah um along the shot whereas with the electronic stuff you're basically walking around with a laptop and you're just timing holes wow electronically mm -hmm. Yeah, but yeah. the, the non-owl is well, way funner because it's kind of like <laughs> having to like cut the cord and you have to get everything right because if you get one hole wrong, it's like there'll be hell to pay basically because it'll be, <laughs> it's a nightmare. Once you, once you conduct the blast, trying to identify which hole didn't go off. If, you, if, you're, not, if you're using like electronic systems, you can identify exactly where it was. Mm. But with the non-owl, it's like, you don't know so you don't know basically until that machine's going through the dirt and it sees like a a booster or a debt or whatever that hasn't gone off basically <laughs> yeah. and then it's then what are you doing working out who did that one <laughs> yeah good luck good luck deny 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 but yeah with oracle we were i was with them in boddington and then we went up to rio tinto's hope downs one where yep. rio subcontracted on us basically just to get rid of all their contours which just meant blowing up hills basically to get it down to what they call rl which is real level 
because Rio Tinto's got these crazy safety policies and they can't have their people on an incline that's more than whatever it was degrees. Like, and we're yeah, like, oh, yeah, well, we'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Far out. I actually have, a, yeah. I have a, um, a vision in my head of Tom running around with grenades, throwing it into these big holes. Going, fire in the hole, fire in the hole. <laughs> running around like this. Uh, yeah. Close? Am I close? Nah. No. Yeah, well, oh, okay. the the boost it's it's actually it sounds cool but it's pretty it's you just it just becomes a normal job but with it's not that um complicated really like once you've got the design basically it's like you've got a booster which is the explosive charge and then you've got a debt that ex like sets that off and then basically you've got the hole that's um filled to whatever the the um whatever the specifications are for for that tier or level of the shot and then so it's basically just boosted with the debt and that's connected to a cord that's timed between each hole. So it sounds complicated, but it's really not. They, they call them powder monkeys for a reason. Because you, <laughs> you can train a monkey to do it pretty easy, easily, even the shot fire off. <laughs> well, that's the, um, that's funny that you say, because even that's what Bill was was referencing a lot of the times he goes, you could train a monkey to do what i do given enough yeah. time that's what he was saying as an ethos yeah. like, by the way shout out to bill he i listened to that podcast was awesome man eh? yeah he's awesome a good story guy, is he based over in sydney now is he or yeah yes, yeah he is. i thought so i was trying to work out whether whether he was in new zealand or, or back in australia now so yeah yeah uh, very interesting story a, yeah good guy Hey, um, and so those things, that's, those are really interesting too, hearing your journey and stuff around there and the work, and we're going to sort of come back to um, where you're at now. But before we do that, how did the French Foreign Legion come up? So you got another mate uh, that you mentioned about, because you were, you were planning on, on looking to go there, and then we want to talk about the mill, but I'll just preface those right now. But if you could speak yeah. about the French Foreign Legion, how that came about, because that's quite a difference mm. as well. Yeah. So basically what happened was I tried two or three times to join the Australian Army Reserve while I was with Orica. And um, on the third application, they were just like, nah, don't bother calling back, basically, because unless you can call, unless you can, oh, wait, don't bother calling back until you've got Australian citizenship. Australian citizenship, yeah. <laughs> but I looked into it, bro. And it's, so like the annoying thing is so that the Kiwis, we come under a category, I think it's S7, subclass 7 visa. So we're residents for work and tax purposes, but if we want to get our permanent residency or our citizenship, we are under the same uh, you know, terms as everybody else. So we've got to go through, I think it's like, it's a long process. If you came after 2008 after or 2000, I can't remember yeah, exactly. After some time yeah, frame, yeah. One of those time frames anyway. So it was, yeah, basically, um, it would have, I would have, so the process in essence would have been like, it would have been a lot of money and a lot of time. And I was like, I wanted to join now, not now, but I was like, I didn't want to have to wait five years and then be, and then have to do it type thing. Yeah. I was kind of interested in doing this and then doing that part time. And if it was something that I wanted to pursue further, then I would have looked at like actually pursuing that as a career. Yeah, that was my objective. To, yeah. You got to just change it from the reserves straight to full-time eh? yeah that was the idea that was that's what that's the idea that i had in my head basically yeah and so when the answer was when that was told to me i was like okay well i'll just look for something else to do then yeah. so i was already happy in the role that i was in anyway so i was just going to chip away at that until whatever this net whatever the next stage 
you know, would um, was to arise or occur opportunity to present in essence. So yeah. um, then I started looking for other armies that would take like foreign citizens and, and yeah. stuff like that. So then I found out about the French Foreign Legion and then I was like, okay, I'm going to train up and I'm going to join the French Foreign Legion. Yeah. <laughs> and so I started like training and um, like pretty hard for over a period of about six months. And in that time I was doing research and like, other stuff to try and work out sort of what, um, you know, what, are, what, what skills was I going to need? Yeah. I uh, started learning French, started, you know, reaching out to people that I could find online that might've been associated with that world. And, um, I found the story about, uh, um, young Kiwi from, uh, Mount Eden in Auckland there who had, um, told his parents, one weekend just after completing his high school that he was going to the gold coast with his mates for the weekend and then poof disappeared off the face of the planet <laughs> and um so he he turned up after an interpol investigation to be in france with the foreign legion and he, he ended up with their two rep which is their um parachute regiment right and so I managed to make contact with him and he gave me all the details about what I needed to do to prepare and all this sort of stuff. Um, yeah. But he was like, I don't know. So he, 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 he tried to talk me out of it basically is what he did. Yeah. Okay. And then um, in essence, what happened, so there was a period of about three to six months from that point of making contact with him where I continued training and then I actually booked a flight to Europe. So I was over and it was like what I'd been doing in the last years a couple of years uh, well year, at least the year prior to that's when i met my family in hungary yeah, and then this yeah. was the second year so i was in budapest had just you know spent a week catching up with my family and stuff there went down into croatia caught up with some mates and um kind of had this last final blowout because i knew that i was gonna basically my idea was that i was going to go back to budapest and then i was going to go to france from there instead of getting my return flight home yeah and um by the way this is my wife didn't know this until after I got back, but we, so we had been together for maybe three or four or five months at this point, yeah. but I hadn't told her about it and I was just not going to come back. Yeah, I know it's really? pretty bad. But anyway, um, well, it was pretty bad at that point, but it, um, she kind of understood anyway when I got back and told her, because I was in a bit of a, a like a bit of a disjointed state when I got back actually. So, uh, before I made the choice to go to France, Amon, I hadn't been in touch with him for like five months, comes back online like at the perfect time. And he just, I'm not sure, I think he just finished a deployment in Mali or something like that. Yeah. And um, he was like, bro, don't do it. He's like, go back and just join this, go join the, um, go try again to join the Aussie army or join the, go home and join the Kiwis. Yeah. And I was like, because this was like the second or third time that he tried to talk me out of it. Yeah. And then I sat there and I literally sat at a cafe and I was just weighing up all my options. And I was like, you know, I've got this guy that's a Kiwi. I actually trust him, even though I hadn't met him. Mm. And, and then I've got Linda, who was this like amazing girl back in Perth. And I've got a job to go back to and all this stuff. So I was like, why the hell do I want to go and fight for France anyway? What have, what's France ever done for me? <laughs> and then I was like, oh, you know what? Stuff it. I'm going to pull the pin. And no one even knew I was going there anyway. So the only person yeah. that knew about it was me and Amon, basically. Yeah. So yeah. 
um, that was it. I just made the decision and I caught my return flight back here and then um, basically put the put the Foreign Legion in the rear view basically at that point and started focusing on uh, planning for the future with relation to yeah, committing basically to my relationship and where we were going to be going. Awesome, man. Far out. That's so cool to hear that because I, I feel like, <clears throat> and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like listening and feeling the words of what you're sharing and the thought process that you're having, there'd be more than likely a number of people like that. I know I've been stuck in similar situations, but I know, I have no doubt there'll be people that are on the precipice so to speak or right on the cusp of like i want to do this but i want to do this but i've got this and, uh, and this is over here and that person's involved and a whole bunch of things but i love how you've sort of tied this in nicely for us around you've committed yourself to what it is that you're doing now you're the co-founder and director for two very successful businesses that are going along you've got a great woman by your side and she's lucky to have you by her side but also there's still more to the story because we we ended up connecting um through the affiliation that we have and you're a member of uh of the mill gym correct yep and so how did that come about to you there because that you've done a number of the courses there too which we'd love for you to speak about because mm -hmm. we had nick on here he spoke about the carter course camp chaos camp havoc and it sounds incredible and obviously i think you've participated in all of those courses have you yeah and so how has how did you come to the mill? How did when? How and when did that happen? How have you found your time there? Um, and maybe yeah, we'll just start with those. How did you get there, and, and how have you found your time there, and how has that helped you? I guess three things. Yep. So that period of time that I was referencing just before would have been mid twenty thirteen. Oh, okay. So uh, after that, got back, got back into work, but then up until yeah. a point, I basically made a decision that I was going to go back to, uni to, to go to university to try that out. Um, right. Around mm. the beginning of twenty, uh, sorry, it would have been mid, mid to late twenty thirteen. I decided that I was going to do that, and then I started in the first semester of twenty fourteen at ECU. ECU, so, super yeah. tape they call it because my yeah, that's it. It's actually come so it's a long way. Eh? It's like it used to be this like for a uni, but it's actually pretty. Um, it's actually pretty fancy now. It's like. <laughs> yeah. They're making their way up in the world for sure, eh? Particularly, um, their com their computer science faculty there is like punching. Eh? It's the best. It's mint, bro. Like, and that's what I. So I went there for. Um, I was interested in their well, two courses. So I was um, interested in computer science on the broadest scale, but I that mainly the cybersecurity elements. So gotcha. I I knew that I wasn't going to be able to attend in house anyway because of the. The commitments that we had going forward into the next couple of years so i basically signed up for their um their counter-terrorism course with the um uh, picked the politics and international relations as the major yeah. and then also the cyber security and the reason why i did that is so i could just pick out all the units that i was interested in i knew <laughs> i wasn't going to finish the course i just wanted to go and do all the interesting units and get all so, like soak up all of that information and then basically well see how i went anyway but i got a lot out of that time that i spent at ecu even though i didn't complete my my studies i got a lot out of the time and the connections that i um built through oh, that yeah. place as well and awesome. got a lot of knowledge out of the place so and so around about the same time i found out about this place called the mill 
Yeah. And so I knew that we were going to be going overseas and stuff, but I'd heard about this place and um, I what sort did of... You hear? Um, I heard that it was a gym that was run by former SF guys, uh, regiment dudes, and yeah. you had to pass a selection process to get in there. And I was like, where do I sign up? <laughs> <laughs> so I sent an email and I'm not sure who received that one. It probably was Nick, I'm guessing, yeah. but, um, yeah, they were like rock up at this time on this day. And so I did so, and I was totally unprepared as well. Like, <laughs> had not been training well i had been training so I, I was relatively kind of i don't know i wasn't completely lazy and you know yeah. um unconditioned but i was yeah i wasn't the fittest dude and um rocked up and um started the first phase of initiation there with um john who was there at that time yeah john negoescu yeah 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 so it was john that was there Great and guy. um yeah I, um basically um i started um yeah started and uh haven't looked back since then eh? like I, that was in mid 2014 and over the years i've because i haven't been a I've, I've always say to i joke with nick and say that i'm their most consistently inconsistent member because <laughs> <laughs> i'm always kind of like on the periphery but i'm, I'm never there like doing gacs day in day out like many of the yeah. members are type thing so yeah. but i i think it's a as i say i say to others when they ask me what this place is and um uh, it's a community of like-minded individuals that kind of set the standards and and functional fitness but the idea of the um, environment is that you're not training you're training there for specific goals relative to what you want to achieve and that could be relative to whether it's uh, athletic goals or it could be just there to get fitter and fitter and become a better person and more capable basically so that you can function on your in a in a like primacy of operational capacity basically in the role that you're in in the, in the world of business or whatever it may be yeah and but over the years i've heard stories and it's like it's one of those places where you don't ask question, too many questions really it's another one of those places but it's like i'd heard stories about this kiwi guy that was a made of nicks and he was you know they were the founding members and all this sort of stuff and then it was funny because I went and um, attended a resilience development website like seminar the week or two prior, a week or two before you published that podcast with Nick. Right. And then he, because he mentioned you in that, in the um, story about what had occurred and, and not in, in, in exactly to detail in terms of what happened, but yeah. it said that he'd sort of, um, you know, that you guys had buried the hatchet. And then this podcast came out and when I listened to the story and everything, all the dots connected from over the years mm. if that makes sense yeah but um the mill has played a, a massive part in my life over the course of the last sort of um you know since 2014 just in terms of nick's been a great mentor to me at different stages of life and just having them there sort of like t soaking up everything it, it is that they have to offer with relation to the courses mm. and um yeah no it's played a, a real crucial um part of my life actually and I have you to thanks for it bro and that's why I made contact with you to say hey thank you because if you had not have done that like, I don't think you realize how many lives you changed by starting that gym <laughs> honestly like because it's it has such a positive um effect on so many people and I've seen it over the years and it's an, it's uh inspirational actually and if you hadn't have executed that decision to do it like go to do the Jim Jones course and then come back and say, Hey, I'm going to do this. 
because you've changed even the people that are there now operating it because that would have changed their course of most likely changed their course of life as well so hmm. no it's definitely you made waves and and <laughs> inspired them to continue um the the idea original idea and nick's doing an excellent job at that so yeah, yeah hats off to yeah. all of you for that oh thanks tom that's, that's awesome. nice to hear but yeah definitely what nick and the rest of the team and that are doing there is yeah even i think i might have touched on with you and i, I definitely spoke with nick after has gone well above and beyond even anything that i had thought of so that's incredible what they're doing and that's really nice to hear um the impact that it's had on you and that it seems to be having on others there as well like you said whatever it is that they're in pursuit of um i'm just pleased to hear that it's that it's still rocking man and that it's helping in positive ways which was always part of the original intent and at the core which seems like it's still doing yeah um i love how you know you, you've mentioned a few things here and and there's just how things seem to happen ever wonder how things happen for a reason and you, yeah. you mm. you've mentioned that you've, you've put a, a post out separate to that which we don't need to go into here but just the stuff that you've spoken about and the timing of your mate is it amon um yeah just when he came back you know obviously he'd been speaking with you and then you were right at the cusp of you know there's this decision and you weren't going to come back which i didn't know about till you've just mentioned now yeah and then just you know he's back on and like you said it couldn't have been more perfect timing yeah and it's helped you it sounds like it's really helped you just hone in on hey this is this is where my passion my purpose my drivers in terms of helping other people achieve what it is that they want to do and achieve and you're doing that through uh, Tunis by the sounds of things and through Vector 2.5 and just being willing I, I won't go into all the details but just the the way that you seem to be reaching out and willing to help out anybody which really comes through in the information that I've received from you that Brian and I have received from you but also in the way that you speak and trying to just connect with and help people and so I guess would you mind speaking about <clears throat> that aspect for you in relation to where how has this drive become more like it seems to be just all encompassing in, in terms of who you are like i want to help this person and i'm going to help these people and we're doing this and i know that you guys are busy at the moment you and your brother so mindful of your time and that you're giving brian and i here today as well where does that drive come from do you think is that something that's been passed on obviously through family lines and the sacrifices that you that you've touched on with your grandparents and all that sort of thing but where yeah. where's that come from and how do you find that drive to keep giving of yourself well, to help i guess them? with relation to um where i'm at now it's just been mm -hmm. time spent on like this uh, on what we're doing and it's just time and how this how the businesses are evolving yeah so um yeah because i mean like at that time when i originally came to the mill and whilst I was at ECU, we knew that the year after that, we were going to be going overseas for Linda's fellowship training or a couple of years after that. It was two years actually that was spent in preparation to basically develop a model that was going to be sustainable whereby we'd be moving around and I need to, needed to be able to have an income coming in so that I could still be able to pay bills and rent and all that wherever we were going to be. Um, but the unpredictable nature of this, the plastic surgery training is that even when they're applying for fellowships and that sort of stuff, you don't actually know. You could be going like we were. We had heaps of different places on the cards. We had like Italy, we had Birmingham, England, uh, Toronto, Canada, yeah. and there were a number of other places where we might be going. And it was basically like pending application approval and acceptance. Oh, yeah. 
So I was like, all right, I well, I need to plan, plan and prepare basically myself and be in a position where I can be able to work and, and stuff like that. And, um, and, and, uh, yeah, yeah. And, but while working remotely, um, independently yeah. basically, or working alongside and with Laz with the Vector 25 side of stuff, but we're not actually in the same physical location, if that makes sense with, yeah, yeah thankfully for the modern day communications and technology, we're able to, um, we're effectively, we're able to do it like with, yeah. um, yeah, to be able to do it quite well. And so. Yeah, so just building on that really is what I've done over the years and the fact that I haven't ended up, basically because I've remained um, affiliated with the gym is one of the driving forces that motivates me now to contribute to um, entities, organizations that are on their periphery basically um, here in Perth, um, associations that assist service members that are coming out and they're in their transitional phase and that sort of thing. So I'm like, okay, well, I wasn't able to serve in this capacity, um, but what I can do now is I can serve for these associations, and that's my way of serving, is to contribute my skills that I've accumulated doing what I've been doing over these this period, and now I can give back and assist in whatever way I can with the time, you know, extra time that I've gotten, that sort of thing, to give back and to help out and, um, yeah, to, to, to help and serve in that capacity, basically, and that's that's my motivation, basically. That's awesome, man. And how how fulfilling is that for you? Has has it been? Are you? Do you feel fulfilled doing the stuff that you're doing? Is there what's next on the radar or, or that? Yeah, sort of stuff so yeah, so it's sort of um, with relation to where we're at at the moment. It's still kind of in the early phases. Like we've been doing this now for what, like that component about what I've just been talking about now for just working with various entities now for maybe. To be honest, it's really been through the COVID period. So um, we, okay. Linda and I, had signed up to go do the Kokoda Trek um, with the Navy Clearance Diver Trust here in um, out of WA, yep. and we were basically in preparation to do this, and we were doing lots of different fundraising. Um, well, we were in the processes of process of organising fundraising um, events and an art exhibition and this sort of stuff. That was going to be used in collab uh, in auxiliary to the trek to basically raise funds and awareness for the trust. Yeah, um, but everything got cut short because COVID happened, COVID. and um, mm. and so then I was like, okay, well, I, I um, realized that I got a lot of um, I, I really enjoyed working with these people and um, you know um, and uh, providing our services and and our skill set to try and assist, and so we kind of tapped into the local community and just worked out who, well, just chat, started talking to people. And then we now provide our area of expertise basically to um, people that are, are needing help basically with stuff, whether that be um, a lot of the work that the Vector25 does as well and um, is, is just basically assisting startups, as I say, with the brand des design yeah. components. Yeah. Um, and it, a lot of people need that in the early phases of business. So it's, it's, it's ended up being a good skill set, I guess, to have basically. Awesome, man. That's so good to hear. Great to hear about the work that you guys are doing, how, how that's come about and your story is very, very cool. Like I've just been scribbling down yeah, a bunch of other notes in addition to some of the notes that you gave of some of the backdrop stories and stuff, the house, the terror house, two level mm -hmm. museum. 
um, those sorts of things if we were ever going there to, to visit um, in that place. And that, hang on, one part that I missed there, where was that? Was that in Budapest? That's in Budapest, yeah. So yeah. that's, um, yeah, if you ever find yourself in Budapest, there's heaps of beautiful things to see and do there, but that's one that's probably not so beautiful, but it's definitely yeah, a good yeah. go. Um, a lot of history and stuff. Yeah, it's a must, must see, eh? Because yeah. it's, yeah, yeah like it. the, the, it'll really um, open uh, a lot of, especially if you're a Kiwi or an Aussie, it'll open your eyes as to what occurred in that region, sort of in Central Europe, um, yeah. the la la last century, basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Man, yeah. awesome. Hey, you know what? I'm mindful of, I've hogged the airways. Brian, did you have some stuff that you wanted to ask before <laughs> I... Um, Hey, no, I, no, no, hogging. You're good. Um, but I do, I, I actually had a comment that just thought, popped, popped my head. It's, it, to me, and this is just hearing from my um, my own ears, and, and I mean this really respectfully, but it, to me, some of the, the things that you've talked about and the way you've described uh, your mindset, it sounds very similar to the podcast that we've had mm -hmm. and, the, and the, the, the wonderful people we had on there in terms of wanting to serve. And that seemed to be the, the driver. Yeah. You know, um, Unless you, you're Nick and Arnold Schwarzenegger is just right up there, so that's your driver. No, nah, mate. Oh, I like that one. Yeah, <laughs> that was classic. Crack up, actually. <laughs> uh. well, that, that, that only happened, came out because uh, um, Joe gave me some inside tip on that one, so yeah, yeah we were able yeah. to talk about that. But if you, again, if you unpack what, what Nick was talking about, or Moff, or then if you talk about um, Bill, and then you look in Dion, and, and, and Helen as well. Um, it's all about that serving and service and support, um, and it's that mindset. But you know, w when I'm listening, you, you, you talk. It's like, um, unlike unlike myself, and I, I'll use this in a, um, as an e example, and it's probably not a very good one. But yeah, growing up in a, um, my parents were in in the um, in the military, and so I see the stories, you see the movies, and you play war games. But that that desire just never really kicked on. But it's something that you've talked about and, and, and it sounds like the connection between your grandparents and what they went through and then what they built to support the community and all that's just bubbling up to this point where mm. you go I want to serve and the place I want to serve is in the military but that didn't work out how else can I serve mm -hmm. and again and I, I, I may be I, I'm, again I mean it respectfully when we talk about the other podcasts we had I see the connections with all of it in terms of that mindset and the thinking yeah. and just knowing the um the way that joe and, and nick have described the mill and and how you've gone through that is this is not just a oh yeah whatever i'll just turn up because i want to look cool it's just no uh, i want to get something done and i want to find the best way to serve so i guess that, that was just a, a, a comment of thought that popped in my head bro that um with that it's just to me it's, it's scarily Similar, interesting similar, similar the parallels yeah yeah it yeah. really really is and i guess it highlights the fact that the podcast in the service of others who dares wins that whole mindset that we talked about on friday with a uh, friday just gone with um our catch-up session pause to reflect is exactly tied into the whole series that we, we've been talking about so yeah those are my thoughts so far i just i've been sorry I, i've just been drawn to the conversations oh man this is a cool story man. It <laughs> is, eh? yeah. Yes. yeah it has been hey i wanted to ask tom thanks b for for that um yeah, thanks bro the the carter and the or the courses how did you find those what what were some of the key takeaways that you took from the carter course yeah. and 
Camp Havoc and or have, have you done the Chaos one as well? Yeah. What what were the obviously they're, they're separate courses with with different objectives and stuff around mm-hmm. them. Um, I'm keen to hear from somebody who's gone through those courses, and I'm sure our listeners and that will be too. What yep. have been some of the key takeaways that you've uh, gleaned from those, and how have they helped you? How do you apply them maybe in your day to day, or what you do yep. in terms of continuing to serve and help others? Yeah, so the, all three of these courses, um, they're quite different. Um, yep. So you've got um, you've got uh, the Carter course, which is a um, thirty-six hour compacted smash kind of weekend. Select, yeah, smash <laughs> session basically, like where you're getting tested basically um, physically, getting pushed to your limits physically. But in between the smash sessions, you're going to be tested and um, you're going to be taught lessons and then tested on whatever those theoretical components will be whether it's lock picking or um, actually I've got a story I listened to your story um, Joe about when you were on selection over here yeah and they you had to learn the Australian national anthem <laughs> did they right? make you do it yeah so Nick singles yeah, yeah. I don't know whether yes. this ties into like your course or whatever but he was like he put me on the spot very early on in the course and he was like Tom do you know the national anthem of Australia and I was like no but he's like okay well you better bloody learn it quickly because you're going to be reciting this throughout this weekend throughout the weekend and every time you get it wrong you, your whole team's going to get punished for it basically and we were times because I wasn't able to learn learn as quickly as what you were on that bus prep but um it was all you didn't fresh. have as much time yeah didn't have much time so it was all uh, you know he's like okay you got 10 minutes to learn this and then you're going to get up in front and you're going to recite the national anthem yeah. to the group i had a lot more than 10 minutes on that <laughs> time, <I> tell you <laughs> yeah that was an example of something that uh was um uh, was one of the things that they came back to over the that particular weekend but this was yeah. we're talking 2014 now so it's a few years ago when i did the course that co- that yeah. particular course um, so yeah, basically the, the Carter course, you're just getting smashed the whole time in essence. Um, mm. uh, and you're getting wet and cold on the beach and then you're coming back in and you're doing, um, you know, I don't know how many burpees and push-ups we did, but it would have been in the thousands over that 36 <laughs> hour period, probably most likely. Yeah. Um, and yeah, as I say, when you're getting to the, by the time you're sort of getting into the second night, um, they'll yeah it's you, you start to sort of start get tested start to get tested on some of the things that you were you've been taught throughout the taught process of the week and just to see how you'll function when you haven't had food and haven't had sleep and yeah and you you still need to be able to function and lead and and that sort of thing within the team so um no i got a lot out of that course and um awesome. yeah it was it was really i do encourage i encourage anyone that wants to test themselves to, to go on any of these courses, to be honest. So the Carter course, as I say, is like a condensed version of a, um, a period of selection for, for, from the physical co- component. And then you've got um, Chaos, which is uh, navigation, 24-hour navigation exercise, which is basically um, replicated by former SASR guys that have probably done uh, well, have de- definitely done and passed selection, but also been on courses where they're testing candidates um, through that phase of of, yeah. of the course. And so, 
Um, I, yeah, particularly for people that are preparing for selection, I encourage people to go on their resilience, well, make contact with the mill point A, sign up for their resilience development program that Nick offers through there, Nick and the team yeah. there offers, and attend all three courses prior to, well, you, I think it's a, it's a part of this resilience development courses is to, to do all three components. So you've got the, the Carter course, the um, chaos, which is the um, navigation, 24, they do a day and a night component. So because you've only got the 24 hours, they'll actually get you to navigate at night as well. Yeah, but there's nice. people there that are, are not preparing for selection as well. So um, you've got people there that are just there to test themselves and test yeah. their levels of endurance and learn an, and or learn a new skill because not many people get out in the desert and navigate with a mm. map, and, map and compass anymore. There's no GPS, like you're yeah. operating. Oh, you're allowed to use white light. So it's not just red light, but if you've got guys there that are preparing for selection, then you can you just abide by the rules that you're going to be under, basically. But you can, if you get stuck at a certain point, you can stop and be like, okay, ask the questions because the instructors there are going to help you well by when you're on selection. That ain't going to happen. Right? So you might as well ask questions now because it's a, plus in that yeah. environment. I don't want to. We don't want to have to go looking for you. Somebody lost that. <laughs> yeah. Another whop whops. Tom, yeah. I, who was it who was it that made reference um there was someone that was making reference to a point on nzsas selection where you've got you know um you can reference the um the, to the east or to the west was is the beach or the water uh, oh yeah yeah that was mids kane middleton yeah and so that's a good like particularly because we um the area of operations for that course is um is, is north of perth yeah. you'll be familiar with the area there but you can use that as a as a reference point basically so you can go you're on the map and then you're like okay because probably i'm pretty sure they give us old maps and that sort of stuff as well but yeah um, you you know roughly okay you've got there so then you can look for landmarks and that sort of stuff and it's just it's it's if you break it down into small like um, just take it one step at a time or whatever like people have said on this podcast like just focus on what the task is at hand this this leg of the of the navigation um, sort of like course yeah just focus on this leg and this stage and and um, and don't focus on the next and all the other stages that you've got ahead of you or whatever. And then whenever I got a little bit overwhelmed, I just remember, okay, beach is to the, to the, to the west and you just hear, you can listen to the waves and that sort of stuff. And then you just recalibrate and then you continue on um, once you've, yeah, you've done, you've worked out where you are basically. And then you, yeah, you can reference that and then work towards wherever you're trying to get to. But that's a really cool course actually, because it's 24 hours and you can basically go as hard as you want. I think the whole entire, um, Courses, yeah, I think it's like 80, 80 kilometers in total. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Wow. Um, and and the course that I was on that time, there was people that finished that, no sweat. So they were prepared awesome. and preparing yeah, yeah. Um, for for the for the proper thing. And yeah, um, have been and and to to that point, getting back to why you if you are serious about um, going down that pathway make contact with the mill because they they've got they've yeah. prepared this all of this knowledge over not just the service within the um while they were serving but now you know as they've been developing this gym over for over a decade now yeah. um, and they have the tools and information that will get you to the finish line basically if you put right. them i love how you've mentioned that because like nick was saying so they got that live feed of information as yeah. well as yes so you don't have to be in perth as well you can be yeah you can be, as I say, you can be remote and you can u utilize Zoom or whatever it is to, to fill them in on where you're at. 
And then um, getting back to the third course, which is chaos, uh, havoc, uh, havoc, havoc. Um, that is a, it's a different course. Uh, so it gives you, I think the way he described it was that it gives you experience into life as an operator in an, yep. in a, basically in an austere environment. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we um, that was just recently actually, and Linda jumped on that course with me. It was fun. It was like, oh, yeah. um, hey, you keen to do this course? It'll be quite fun because um, yeah, we can like sort of yeah, it'll be awesome. You want to come? She's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. She's keen. Wait, 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 wait. The, the question would be: Is it Tom fun or is it Linda fun? Oh, she loved it. Yeah, yeah, she <laughs> oh, enjoyed it. But so yeah, Linda fun. Yeah, 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 she she quite enjoyed it. But she, as I say, I'm quite lucky. Like me and Linda, we're like the yin and yang. My deficiencies are her, like our my pros are her um, cons and vice versa. So we make a good team. Put it that way. So, um, oh, we're very awesome. fortunate that's and awesome. we're very appreciative yeah. to have one another. But yeah. she's always up for a challenge, like. Kokoda, we went to the information evening there, um, and I really hope the guy that runs that Kokoda, um, Kokoda, um, uh, what's the name of the company? It's the um, uh, Travis oh, Hoka. Travis Hoka. Yeah. Yep. And I'll, I'm, hold on, I'm just going to quickly give you the name of the. Um, Kokoda Crossings is the name of the place, um, and I hope he can come on as a as a guest because he'd be a really awesome guest for you guys to have on. Um, Definitely, the story is yeah, pretty sure. cool. But we went for the information evening, and Linda's like, "Oh, we've got no excuse because we've got nothing for that period. Let's just sign up." And I'm like, "Yes, that's the spirit." <laughs> and we signed up on the spot like that evening and um, started oh, awesome. sort of training for Kokoda. That um, and she was keen for the course as well, so it was really cool. And That's chaos really is cool. a real fun one. And there was another Kiwi couple that were on, well, Kiwi dude with his Aussie partner that was on that weekend as well, which was cool. That's excellent. Hey, did Nick um, in the Havoc one, because you've got those souped up Nerf guns, eh? Yeah, yeah. Was there a so, shooting? Did you just have to face off and, and have a shooting <laughs> competition? Did he put that in there in the course? Yes, I'll give you, so I'll give you a rundown. So yeah. like we, oh, shooting contest between me and Linda. Yeah, yeah. Um, nah, because basically I'll, I'll give you a rundown of what the course, because it's not really going to oh, be okay. a spoiler um, for people that are going to go on. It's sort of, so you rock up and basically it's, a, it's another 36 hour course where you rock up and basically you're treating the area of operations, which is the mill, as the, your holding area for a, a mission. In our circumstances, it was a mission of an um, Australian recovery. national that had been, yeah, hostage recovery of an Australian national that had been kidnapped by um and by new zealanders and yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah that's it that's it yeah oh it's um, kiwis again yeah and uh so yeah so you rock up and then it's yeah again it's sort of like theory and practical lessons throughout the course of the weekend um and then leading into uh um culminating to a like hostage re rescue basically on the, yeah. in the early hours of the sunday morning but you get to learn some cool hands-on uh, yeah. skills and that sort of stuff which are pretty cool so yeah, yeah. tom I, I need to ask um did you learn the skill of jumping in the air and clicking your heels together no i haven't learned that one yet <laughs> ah. <laughs> that's you only learn that one when you win when you win uh, uh, when you win sorry, sorry. Yeah. yeah and unfortunately well it was so basically you're working there's 12 people on that course and you get separated into four um yeah four four-man teams 
and you're working together, sort of like, um, so four, three teams, and then you've got the HQ, sorry, team sort of like um, control um, with three teams of four, so 12 people in total, but you're working together, going out separately throughout the course of the duration of the, re, uh, the weekend, putting the skills that you've learned into action, basically, in terms yeah. of a, um, a practical um, uh, application to, to work out um, where the hostage is and mm. and how you're going to go about recovering them, basically. But um, I'll, I'll tell you guys, so I wasn't on this four-man team that ended up making the breach to the to the mezzanine floor where the hostage was, but our hostage ended up getting shot. So, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a real good thing. Kiwis again. Yeah. Yeah. I shouldn't have laughed. No, it wasn't the Kiwis. I'll tell you that. It was the Aussies that were on that team. <laughs> but we were, oh, man, it was crack, crack up, eh? Because, like, we, um, everyone thought it was all over. And, like, we cleared the bottom, um, era, like, uh, the area that Your we were area. supposed to clear. Then we go upstairs. And the hostage is, like, still tied to the chair. And he's like, oh, I've been shot through the hip. And I'm like, our team's like, all right, we'll untie you and all this. But, yeah, like, he was, hostage was still tied to the chair by the time we got upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> but the instructors and stuff they're just there observing so yeah it yeah. was that team should have been a bit more remember that if anyone that's going on that course make sure that you actually finish the job don't just yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah no all of those courses are absolutely awesome honestly and um i'd encourage anyone that's like just looking to test themselves in any capacity yeah. make contact with the mill and come over and join join these courses because they are very cool awesome would it be fair to say that you've grabbed um bits from each of the courses and more just even through the training and stuff that you've been able to do there at the mill and continue to do and been able to apply those to the work that you do now whether that's mindset yeah. whether that's dealing with time pressure or a lack of sleep that you might get when you're working mm. on some clients projects has that all been helpful would that be a fair to say yeah absolutely yeah so yeah. um just the wealth of knowledge to be frank like that the instructors and their and the team there offer um it's yeah. a diverse team of specialists basically that um just pour out their knowledge and it's a wealth of knowledge that yeah frankly like it's, it's we're fortunate um to be able to tap into that mm. that knowledge awesome. database basically like the service that they offer offer i reckon is arguably i don't think you'd find it anywhere else in the world at this point in time so mm. Yeah, Fantastic. honestly, That's like every team. course, although the courses are different, um, you're always going to be challenged in some capacity physically, I would say, but there'll be different, like, as I say, the navigation components, even navigating is a skill that most civilians don't yeah. learn anymore. So, mm. and if you want to learn from people that really know what they're doing in any of these facets, like these, yeah, I mean, with, with regards to the skill sets that they're teaching, these are the guys to, to be contacting. So, awesome. Yeah. Mate, I just want to um, take a few moments before I give you an opportunity to speak about and, and acknowledge and mention anything else that you might want to, but I just want to take this time from my side, mine and Brian's side, just to acknowledge you for A, being on the podcast and coming on as a special guest of ours and mm. putting yourself out there and sharing your story, your history, your rich history with us and with our listeners. Um, for your sense of humor it's been great to to hear some of the funny things and the interesting backdrops around stuff and just to be connected with you even prior to you coming on the podcast has been really awesome grateful 
for the work that you do with not only the Artunas Medical Group and the no doubt the people that you guys are helping there with reconstructive plastic surgery and all that sort of thing and having that aesthetic element to it as well but also with the business development role that you play at Vector25 and working with your brother and helping businesses, companies or startups find their allow them to be able to do the core work of what it is that they enjoy doing or what it is that they're trying to do so that you guys can help them out and take care of that other stuff um, to help them get on the path to what whether that's success or whether that's just to help them gain traction and move forward really grateful for the way that your um, your work and your desire and the things that you do and have been able to do and acknowledging the mill um, Jim and Nick mm. and the team and stuff there and for the kind mentions that you've mentioned about them and also the Kokoda crossings with Travis and that stuff. So we do hope to have Travis on the podcast. We've had a bit of a conversation with him and um, we haven't got a date set yet, but hopefully that will happen. And just the way that you go about showing up, because it's not an easy thing to come on a podcast to share your story because oftentimes and uh, um, people will think, oh, who would want to listen to me? Like, I'm not very interesting. But just to the point of what Brian and I were talking about in our catch-up, everybody's got a story in these experiences or more than uh, one story but these lived experiences that are valid and so just want to really let you know that we're very very grateful to have you on here Tom Totka and that your story and your messages are valid that they're helpful for not only Brian and I I've taken down mm. some notes and got some really cool stuff from what you've shared grateful for the way that you continue to go about trying to serve people mate and uh, wish you continued success and all the best especially to your lovely wife Linda as well and um, and all the work that you guys are doing, you and Lars, your Laz, sorry, Les, brother yeah. Laz, and um, even you know just the stuff that you continue to do with helping those at the mill and promoting the stuff. It's easier to see that you're somebody who's very genuine and sincere and trying to help other people, which was a key reason why Brian and I wanted to have you on mm. the podcast, brother. So thank you very much from my side, Brian. Did you want to mention anything, and then we'll hand over to um, Tom to sh to make mention of anything else that he might want to share and and wrapping this yeah. up beautiful um i actually got a, a, a couple of quick fires that right. I, I want to throw at you oh. before we do that before we do that i, I just want to um tell talk what exactly what joe said uh, absolutely it's been spot on hearing your story i I've just been engrossed the whole time it's probably why i didn't ask a lot of questions go this is so cool this is so cool and and, and just <coughs> the history the history of of everything that you've brought to bear has been really cool and, I, and I, i'm hoping like joe said that others are out there, they're not in the SF world, not in the military world, that you can see connections and draw parallels between what this podcast is about and some and the story you've shared. So, before um, we hand it over to you, Tom, some quick fires. And so, what we're going to do with this is that I'm going to ask you a question and you're just going to fire back with the first thing that comes into your mind. Um, you can say pass, but then I think the rulers will come back to you. Is that, is that right, Joe? All right. Uh, come back to the question? Yeah, I think you can no. either answer it or you can say pass or come back to it. So if, oh, I think yeah, if somebody you. passes, then they don't want to answer it, I guess. Oh, oh stink. All right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. So this is, this is uh, how many have I got? I think I've only got about seven, but here we go. Favorite country to visit? Israel. Israel. Ooh. Oh, okay, that... That caught me by surprise. <laughs> okay. okay, favorite food from your visits? Um, kebab. kebab. Like okay, skewered, cool. skewered kebab, though, you know, skewered like charcoal, kebabs. yeah, charcoal shish kebab. <laughs> Oof. 
right. it was a tough who one wins? as well because there's, there's so many. So many, eh? Oh, yeah. I was going to say. All right. Who wins? Superman or Iron Man? <laughs> Iron Man. Oh, yes. I picked that one. All right. <laughs> For your favorite cheat meal? Um, all of them. All of them. <laughs> How good an answer is that? I wasn't expecting that. No, wasn't all of them. All right. Another who wins? John Wick, Jason Bourne, Robert McCall, or Jack Reacher? Robert McCall is the equalizer guy. Yeah, John Wick. Yeah. 100%. Oof. Yeah. Okay, cool. What's your favorite exercise? Uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Oh, cool. All right. And my last question. <clears throat> Other than family, what three things would you have with you during a zombie apocalypse? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'd have pistol. Um, oh, would a pistol work against a zombie though? Yeah, probably a pistol, a machete. Headshot, headshot. Yeah. And what else? Pistol, machete. One more, one more. Go, Tom, go. First aid kit's probably not going to be much help because by the time we get to it, um... Wait, I'll shoot the zombie and just. Yeah, a vehicle, an armored vehicle. Armored vehicle. vehicle. Oh, oh, look go. at that. I just want to make a quick disclaimer before we hand over to you, Thomas. <laughs> I didn't come up with any of those quick fire questions, just so you know. That was all the work of Brian oh, Osman. That's it. Sweet. That was good. Bro, oh, shocking. Bro, yeah. over to you, Tom. Is there anything yeah. like um, where people can find you? Obviously, there's Vector 25, there's Artunas Medical Group. Um, I've mentioned those. But if there's anything else that you want to mention or anything that you might want to speak to in that as well, Tom, is yours, mate, before we, mm. we look to wrap this up? Yeah, no, look, I just wanted to say thank you guys very much um, for inviting me on here. I was a bit apprehensive, to be honest, because I was like looking at the caliber of the guests that you guys had had on. I was like, what am I going to have here that is, that's going to kind of uh, top that type thing? But if I could say anything to the people that are listening, particularly to the people in Aotearoa that are young and just coming out of school or whatever it is, um, you know, looking for direction in their 20s or whatever it is that I've experienced at least, yeah. it's just take a, um, take a risk, come over to Australia. If you're in a spot like in, in your life in New Zealand at least, just don't be um, afraid to expand your horizons. Come visit Australia, go book a place, get a job, save up and book a flight to Europe. And just see see where the world takes you because it's easy i know it's easy to get into this um growing up in new zealand you can kind of get stuck in this or probably anywhere in the world is a similar yeah. thing to compare to is that you can you can get stuck in thinking that you're in a position where you can't change things where you're at and if you get into that position just expand your horizons take a risk go and challenge yourself find and seek challenge and um yeah expand your horizons that's that's mm. about that's that's all that i would um, sort of want to say in conclusion and just thank you to you both for inviting me as i say thank you very much to joe for um working with nick in the group to to um to find found the mill gym and thank you to nick Colball, who's been a just steady mentor to me over the years so yeah thank you to all of you guys awesome beautiful man cool. so pleased to hear you mention nick's name and, and to mention those things and thank you for your acknowledgement to, to both brian and i again it's been a privilege to have you on this podcast bro find and seek 
challenges, expand mm. your horizons, great advice um, that you've been able to share here. And uh, from our side, from both Brian and I, just thank you again for your time, Tom. Wish you all the best. And we're looking forward to continuing to work with you and your brother um, yeah. as we continue to move forward. So as Thanks we very much, wrap guys. up, all good, yeah. brother. Thank you. And as always, when we wrap this up, um, we finish off with a simple phrase, which absolutely aligns to what you're doing. So those find and seek challenges aligns with that who dares wins mentality. Put it on the line, take a risk, go out and do those things, which is what you're doing, expanding your horizons. Again, who dares wins aligned with that and looking to serve others as best we can. So as always and respectfully, who dares wins. If you enjoyed this conversation, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media. Be sure to hit that notification bell so that you can be kept up to date with more inspiring messages from amazing New Zealanders each and every week. If you found this discussion helpful, we invite you to share this link with your networks and tag Brian and I when you do. We would love to hear from you, so please be sure to leave us a review so that we can continually strive to provide the best service possible. As Abraham Lincoln said, the best way to predict your future is to create it. We thank you for your support, Aotearoa, and we're excited to partner with you in working together to create a better future. Let's go.